We have good Samaritan laws. Like if you know CPR, if you've been trained in CPR, and you see somebody on the side of the road and you don't help, like you can be held liable for not helping him because of the good Samaritan law. Uh, we call people Samaritans if somebody's like really nice and loving. My grandmother lives at the Good Samaritan Nursing Home Village in Denton, Texas. Uh, and we, this is like just a common phrase, a well-known story. But what's the point? Is it just to be nice to people when you walk down the road and you see a half-dead guy on the street, which happens every day, uh, are you supposed to help him and take him to the hospital? Is that what the point of the story is? Well, again, can't just read the parable by itself. A little bit of context. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open up. It's, it's found in Luke 10. Hey, much rejoicing. We are out of the book of Matthew. We've been in Matthew for like four months. So finally, Luke. Luke 10. So in the beginning of Luke 10, Jesus has just sent out 72 guys. Uh, these are uh, probably some of his disciples, not just the 12, but a, a lot of his other followers. And he's preparing them. He's telling them they're going to go through some hard times. They're going to be persecuted. And so he's preparing them for a life of sacrifice in following him. Um, and then we get to our parable. Let's just read it real quick, even though we've just seen it in modern form. Let's read it in its original context. Starting in verse 25, Jesus says, well, Luke says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. All right. So, first of all, this lawyer guy. Uh, Luke gives us a couple hints that the lawyer is not really interested in learning from Jesus. First, there's a, there's a couple that are pretty clear and a couple that aren't so clear. The first indication that we get is when, in verse 25, it says, the lawyer stood up. So in these days, when a teacher was teaching, the teacher would stand and all of the hearers would sit in a learning posture. So the very fact that the lawyer stands, stands up next to Jesus or in front of Jesus is saying he's really not interested in learning. He's just kind of talking at Jesus. But then, what else does he say? He said, Luke says, he put him to the test. So he's trying to basically trap Jesus. He's trying to 
get him to say something wrong, getting him to try to slip up and saying so that he can kind of accuse Jesus of being not a very good teacher or a false teacher. But he seems to understand the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, right? Because when Jesus answers or asks him what is written in the law, the lawyer answers with the same two commandments that Jesus gives elsewhere. In Matthew 22, when somebody says, which is the greatest commandment, Jesus basically answers the same way the lawyer does. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he seems to understand what the point or the message of the Torah is, of the law. So when he answers that way, Jesus seems to say, when he says, uh, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live, he seems to be saying, all right, dude, just, just go do that. Just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You got it. Just do it. And I like to picture it as, like when Jesus says that, he kind of just, he's done teaching now with this guy because he's, he's answered correctly, so he's just walking off. He's, he's, he's leaving, he's teaching for the day. And you guys remember in Thor, when, <laughs> when, when, the, when Thor and the other guys are on, uh, shoot, what's the, the frost planet's name? Can't, what? Bifrost, right. So he is, he's leaving because uh, the frost giants have said, we could kill you all right now. And so he's walking away, and then one of the guys says, run, o- run home, little princess. And then Loki says a bad word. But basically, Thor, like, he challenged him, and Thor, like, turns around, and now it's on, right? So I like to picture this as Jesus is like, all right, dude, go do that. Go love, go do that, and you will live. And he's walking off, and then this guy's like, basically, and run home, little princess. He's like, yeah, hey, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And then James and John are like, come on, man. And Jesus turns around, he's like, you want to do this? All right, let's do this. So, Jesus is like, all right, buddy, here we go. Basically, by his question of asking, who's my neighbor? He's asking, what is the bare minimum that I have to do? Who, is, who can I get by by loving, but then not have to do anything else? So Jesus, does he answer his question, by the way? Does he, the lawyer says, and who is my neighbor? And then what is the very next thing that Jesus says? Does he answer? Anybody? Does he say what? He tells him a story, right? I'm sure the lawyer's like, when he, he's like, who's my neighbor? And then he's like, a man went down from the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everybody's like, what? What is he doing? But, as we've talked about, why would Jesus do this? What, what's the point in telling him a story? What's the point in telling him a parable? Why does Jesus ever tell parables? What's the point? Why would he do this? Why doesn't he answer the question? Jonathan? Yeah, sneak past his preconceived notions about who a neighbor is, right? So he tells a parable for us to be immediately intrigued by his story, enter ourselves in the story, and then he can sneak past our our preconceived notions. So he tells a story. So just a little background on this road. It's a real road. Jerusalem is a city on top of a big mountain, Mount Zion as we often hear it called, and Jericho is a city that is way down at the bottom. It's near the, the Jordan River. So it's, it's, it's really high in Jerusalem and really low in Jericho. So there's this one road. It's a real road that goes straight down. It's a really steep road, and it's a pretty straight road, but it's full of like little 
rocks and crannies and nooks and crannies all over the place. And it was a very dangerous road because of that. People were getting robbed and attacked all the time on this road. So when he says, there was a man going down from the road on Jerusalem to Jericho, everybody's like, uh-oh, this guy's in trouble. They can see it coming. So it's important to our story that this man is stripped naked and half dead. Can anybody think of any reasons why this might be important to our story? Obviously, he's hurt, but the priest is the first guy that goes by. The priest knows the law very, very well. If the man was Jewish on the side of the road, the priest, by the law, is obligated to help him. He would be breaking the law if he did not help this man and take him back to Jerusalem to get some care. But since the man doesn't have any clothes on, he has nothing to indicate of what race he is, and because he can't talk, because he's half dead, he can't say, help, I'm a Jewish brother. So it's, it's likely, we always assume, when Jesus just kind of says, he just passes by on the other side of the road, that the priest just ignored him, he's just full of himself, he has his eyes closed to those hurting around him. But it's very likely that at some point there was a little bit of an internal struggle within the priest to say, I should really go help this guy. I might be obligated under the law to help him if he's a Jewish brother. But since this is a heavily traveled road, it's very just as likely that this guy could be Egyptian or Greek, Syrian, Phoenician. So he doesn't have any idea uh, who he is. So if he's not a Jew, then he's not obliged to help the guy. And if he's dead, he doesn't know if he's dead or not, but if he's dead, then he would have to, after he helped him, he's probably just come from Jerusalem for a week-long, like, uh, sacrificial period in the temple, and if he's dead, he would have to return to Jerusalem for another week-long purification process because he touched a dead guy. So the law dictates. And while ceremonially, ceremonially unclean for that week, he can't collect tithes from the people for, for which to buy food for him and his family. So it's going to be a, a week-long, really, sacrifice of maybe struggling to make ends meet. And then if he's not dead, but he touches him and the guy later dies, he would be obliged to tear his very expensive robes because the guy died under his care. So the law dictates. So the priest very likely has a lot going on in his mind. Should I help the guy? Should I not help the guy? Should I help the guy? Should I not help the guy? And in the end, uh, he decides it's not worth it to help the guy. It'd be a lot easier just to keep going. Keep going to Jericho. And I love what our modern parable did. Uh, So because this is an urban setting, there's probably lots of homeless guys around, it's impossible for these guys to know the identity of this guy. He just looks like every other homeless guy, right? In fact, we saw in the alley, he had, he, was, he had a stuffed animal for his granddaughter that he was probably going to see. He had a wallet. He was probably a respectable old man in, the, in society. But we, could, we didn't know his identity. He just looked homeless. And just like it was the priest's role in the parable to intercede for the spiritual needs of Israel, it was certainly the man's role as a doctor and a deacon in his local church to intercede both on the physical needs of this man as a doctor and the spiritual needs as a deacon of the church. So, but what does he decide on the end? He's got more important things to do. He doesn't have time for this. He certainly might get blood on his seats. We saw him caring about his car. His son is kind of pulling on his, his bag. 
And then in the end, he says, he probably brought this on himself. That's what, that's what alcohol does, son, right? He, he, he did this to himself. So the priest in the parable and the doctor in our movie are following a version of the law that keeps them kind of socially uncontaminated. And they come up with a whole slew of excuses and reasons why they don't have to love and help the guy. Okay, now in our parable, our second guy is a Levite. He's coming down the road. And so the Levites, as you guys, a lot of you guys might know, they were one of the 12 tribes of Israel, but like the other 11 tribes, they didn't get a little plot of land, but they served as kind of uh, assistance to the priest, uh, temple assistance on behalf of all of Israel. So the Levites were scattered all, ar- all around Israel, uh, but this guy is probably, he, may, he might live in Jericho too, just like the priest, and he is following the priest. And because it's a long and straight road, we don't know this, but the original hearers might assume that he's traveling at some distance behind the priest, but he can see what the priest does down the road. Uh, And just like in the movie that we saw, James, the youth pastor, asked Peter, the kid, he said, your your dad said that? When when Peter said, my dad said he's probably all right. Alcohol thins the blood, right? So just as the priest in our parable set a precedent of not helping in which the Levite followed that precedent and said, well, if the priest didn't help, then I guess I don't have to help either. James, the youth pastor, sees the deacon of the church say, I don't have to help the guy, so actually, and we're kind of late. I'm doing ministry with these kids. We're going to go camping, so this is really, I'd have to rearrange my schedule. We'd probably have to cancel the camping trip, and since your dad said that anyway, eh, it's not worth it, right? So, we've got the priest and the Levite, and this is a really common teaching formula that a lot of Jewish rabbis followed in the day. They would tell a lot of stories with a priest, a Levite, and then a Jew. So basically starting at the most religious, then the next religious, and then just your everyday Jewish guy. And so this is a common formula that lots of guys taught in. So everyone as they're listening, including the lawyer, is probably assuming that the third guy coming down the road would be a Jew, just your everyday guy. And maybe even the moral of the story would be that maybe the guy on the side of the road that got beat up isn't even a Jew. Maybe he's like the hated Samaritans or something like that. So maybe the moral of the story is even you Jewish guy should probably just kind of love those in which you hate. So you should just love your neighbor. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus does what everyone isn't expecting. He just crashes the whole priest-Levite-Jews scenario, and then he throws a crazy curveball and throws us, the third guy, as a Samaritan. So if you guys were here last week when Hugo uh, was here teaching, he taught us about the uh, Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Why do the Jews hate the Samaritans? Anybody know? Give me a little history lesson on the Samaritans. Who are they? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. So, there are, there's a northern kingdom in Israel and a southern kingdom in Israel. And the northern kingdom is, throughout their history, incredibly disobedient. They, they, from their, near, the, near the outset, they're always sacrificing to other gods. So God sends the kingdom of Assyria, who are some bad dudes. And they take the entire northern kingdom, which is ten tribes, and take them away into exile. 
and then they eventually let some of them come back. Some Syrians and some of these northern Jews come back to Israel, and they start to intermarry, the Assyrians and the Jews of the north. And so basically, their descendants, these half-breeds of Assyrians and Jews, become what's known as the Samaritans. And the Samaritans have their own holy city. They don't think that Jerusalem is the place to worship. They build another temple, a place to sacrifice to, and they only accept the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They don't accept any of the other history of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, the Kings, and even the Psalms, Proverbs, and the, the prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, all those. They don't think those are at all the Word of God, so they reject all of that. And because of this, because they're almost kind of like the Jews, in which they worship kind of the same God, but, but they've distorted a lot, the Jews hate them. And if they have to go to the north, they will go all the way around Samaria to get to where they're going, so they don't even touch Samaritan dirt on their feet. James and John and Luke, when the Samaritans uh, basically reject Jesus, they say, Jesus, give us the authority to call down lightning and thunder and fire from heaven and just destroy them. Because the Jews hate, loathe, despise the Samaritans. So Jesus gives us a Samaritan in, the, in his third guy. I think it, they, they did a good job in our modern story here by giving us this Arab guy, right? He's reading this Arab newspaper, and James, the youth pastor, like looks at him suspiciously. Um, and then even in the hospital, the security guy is like just glaring at the guy. I read one commentator saying that if the Samaritan took this man to a Jewish city, Jericho, it would be as if an Indian back in the day, found a cowboy with a ton of arrows in his back, and he found him, and he put him on his own horse, and then rode him into Dodge City, or some like crazy outlaw cowboy town, and took him to the hospital, and he stayed there overnight, all the while under constant threat and suspicion. Maybe everybody in the town thinks that this Indian is the one who actually shot the arrows in the back. Maybe the guys in the hospital, the security guy, thinks that this this Arab guy is the one that actually beat up the old man. He's constantly under suspicion, and everyone is just kind of glaring at him or even hates him. And then, just as the Samaritan gave up his own money, our Arab taxi driver gives up. He, a guy wants to get in his taxi, and he says, no, go down the street. Like, he starts giving up his own, his own fares and his own livelihood. He spends the night in the hospital, we assume, so he doesn't work for a whole day. He doesn't earn any money. He's sacrificing of himself to help and heal this man. So that's the story. But the story isn't just the story of these three guys. The, the parable is the context of Jesus talking to the man. So he says, which of these is my neighbor? And like we said, he never really answered the question, right? The guy said, who's my neighbor? He told a story, and then he said, who's the neighbor? <laughs> Like, he's not teaching very well, right? He's not answering questions. He's just asking more questions. But what Jesus seems to be saying is by telling the story, he says, wrong question. When he said, who's my neighbor? He's like, you're, you don't even understand what you're asking. You're asking the wrong question. We're going to see in a week or two uh, when Peter says, how many times should I forgive somebody? Jesus says, wrong question, buddy, and tells him a story. So Jesus 
basically does the same thing. He says, by telling this story, he says, if you think that loving God and loving your neighbor means that there are still some out there who, because of their nationality, because of their religion, because of their culture, or just maybe someone that you don't like, if you don't think that you have to love those people, then you're asking the wrong question and you don't understand the law of God. So if you understood the law, if you understood God and the gospel, then you wouldn't even be asking this question. Okay? So Peter, our little kid in the, in the movie, he, he sneaks out and he's like hiding behind the pillar and he's just completely shocked, surprised that this Arab man is the one who helped him, especially in light of who didn't help him. His dad, the doctor, the deacon, and his youth pastor. They didn't help him, so why in the world would this guy help him? And I'm sure the original hearers of this parable were like, what? Why would Jesus give a Samaritan in this story? What, is, what does this mean? Why do, why do we think that Jesus didn't follow that priest-Levi-Jew model? Why do we, anybody have any ideas? Why do you think he put a Samaritan in this story? It's kind of tricky. I, I didn't really... I hadn't really thought about it before, but why do you think he did this? Yeah, I think you're on to something with the first thing you said. Like, even some of our enemies know what love is, right? And they, they know intrinsically what it is to help. I think, do you guys remember, in one, of, one of the Sermon on the Mount Sundays, we talked about what an argument from the lesser to the greater is. Do you remember this? Do you remember what the argument that Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount was? An argument from the lesser to the greater? Anybody? It's kind of hard. Well, an argument to the lesser to the greater is basically when you say, if something happens with this lesser thing, then how, how of course something's going to happen with the greater. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, consider the birds of the air, consider the flowers of the field. God cares for them so much. So if God cares for the birds and the flowers, then of course he's going to care for you, someone who's created in his own image and give you all things. Of course he's going to do that. I think, could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that what Jesus is doing with inserting a Samaritan in this story is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. That is, if the Samaritan, who is half-bred, confused about the sacrificial system, confused about what the revealed word of God is, uh, if, if he loves those who are in need and shows mercy, then how much more should you show mercy? You, Israel, who throughout your entire history have been hard-hearted and disobedient and sacrificing to other gods, and yet God has shown you so much mercy and so much patience He's been so slow to anger with you. So much mercy. If anyone should understand this concept of love and mercy, it should be you, Israel. It should be you, Jewish lawyer. And Jesus does this throughout the Gospels. When, when we have some Pharisees asking why he's having dinner with, with prostitutes and tax collectors, he says, go and learn what it means when God says, from the book of Hosea, when he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus is saying, go and learn what it means to not have this crazy idea of you have to meticulously keep every single law with no heart behind it. And that's what we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, right? 
It's not just following a bunch of rules and checking the boxes. If there is no heart worship and love overflowing out of you. So I think what the lawyer asks is, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to gain an, an eternal life? What do I need to do to be in the kingdom of God? And Jesus seems to say, it's not what do you have to do, but what kind of person do you have to be? And I don't think it's any accident that Luke, remember we have to look at context, I don't think it's any accident that right after this parable, Luke gives us the story of Martha and Mary, where Martha is so busy and working and trying to, we don't know, but maybe trying to gain some approval from, the, from our Lord when it's the one who just comes and sits at his feet just to be with him that Jesus commends. So here's where the rubber meets the road for us. In 1 Peter, Peter says that we, just like Israel, were once not a people, but now we are a people. We, just like Israel, had not been shown mercy, but now we have been shown mercy in Christ. If anyone, like Jesus seems to be saying to to Israel of this day, if anyone should understand the concept of mercy and showing love and compassion towards those around me, it should be me, right? A sinful wretch who loves myself more than anything, who worships myself more than anything, and yet God continually shows me mercy and is patient towards me and is loving and compassionate towards me. God loves me so much that he gave, my son, or gave his son to live the life that I should have lived and die the death that I should have died. And because I then understand God's love and mercy towards me, as John says, because God first loved me, now I love. Right? So this parable isn't about helping half-dead guys on the side of the road. Right? Because if we keep waiting for that to apply this sermon, you're probably not going to get to apply the sermon. You might, in your day, see a half-dead guy on the side of the road. But if we keep waiting for that, we're, not, we're probably not going to apply the sermon. So how do we apply or live this parable now and today. I think Jesus is basically just saying, be a neighbor to all. Be a neighbor to all around you, and especially those who are in need of love and and help. So that kid at school who continually gets picked on and and nobody likes, and he sits by himself, sacrifice your time and your reputation maybe even, and go love him. Be a neighbor towards him. When your mom is completely overwhelmed with stuff around the house and you'd rather just play Xbox or go out with your friend, sacrifice your time and love and be a neighbor towards, towards your family and sacrifice and love. Be a neighbor. And then we're going to talk about this in a couple more weeks in a different parable, but let's open our eyes to those around us. Albuquerque is a great city, but it's got some real hurt in the city. Open our eyes to those who are around us who are in deep, deep need and in hurt and be a neighbor towards them. Love. So any walls or boundaries that we set up for ourselves where we kind of say, I don't have to love that guy? Remember what we were talking about earlier that we're good at making excuses. Maybe it's his religion, his culture, his way of life. Uh, I, I just don't like the guy any kind of wall that I set up for that person that I say that I don't have to love, the gospel just blows that up. It says there is no one 
that you are not obligated to be a neighbor to and to love. So the question, when Jesus says wrong question, when the guy says, who's my neighbor? The question isn't, who is my neighbor? Because everyone is your neighbor. Everyone you are to love because of the gospel. If we don't understand that, if we, think, if we keep thinking that there are those that we aren't required or obligated to love, then we don't understand the gospel at all. Because you, God did not, was not obligated to love you or save you or call you or show mercy to you. But he did. Because of that, now we love. So the question is this. Are you a neighbor? Are you a neighbor to all? Are you known? Is your reputation at school or at home or on your street one who loves? We all have reputations for something. Uh, he's really funny or she's really popular or whatever. She's, he's really charitable. He's really giving of his time or whatever. Is your reputation, seriously, think, think hard on this. Is your reputation one who loves other people? If not, let's work on that. Uh, love, love of others, love of God, should be our reputation. Okay? So we're going to kind of flesh that out in our small groups now. What our reputations are, how we love those around us. Okay? So, 